0: Aaron, welcome to Go Deep with Aaron Watson. Glad to be here. This is like the surreal world
1: because I don't know if I've had anyone named Aaron maybe once on the show. Before. I'm always worried that when an Aaron and Aaron meet that like you shake hands and the universe collapses, right? Because you just, yeah, two Aarons, it's an unusual. Well, to let everyone know, to suspend suspense, we've already shaken hands.
0: So <laughs> it's not <laughs> the Everybody, case. Everybody's here, yeah, so yeah. It's all good. So your company, All Vision, Mm-hmm has the goal of connecting decision-makers with rich sources of spatial data and analytics. And as I was looking at the website, what I took that to mean is this really complex, or not complex, intimate mapping of the 3D world mm-hmm. and creating a digital version of it. You guys use the term twin to describe that. Mm-hmm. Can you just build upon that explanation to give people a clear picture of what All Vision does?
1: Yeah, sure. So a little bit of the digital twin vernacular comes out of my experience at Autodesk, right? So when buildings are built, right, like you draw plans, people come in, they try to build it to their best expectations, and then they step away, right? Over time, things change. So there's never a record of what it actually is. And so because of that, things are harder to maintain. People come in all the time and say, well, there's a wall here. There wasn't supposed to be a wall. So the idea that you keep a fresh up-to-date record of all things, right? Yeah. So we take for granted our infrastructure, our sidewalks, our signs, our roads. We experience it when we hit a pothole, right? We're like, why does this pothole exist here? Like, why isn't somebody fixing this? But the reality is infrastructure is vast, right? There's so much of it out there. It's very difficult for the, you know, organizations, cities, municipalities who are supposed to maintain it, to keep it up to date, to keep it, you know, working for us. Even that, from that perspective like You know, if I set out a sign, if I set up in a curb a certain color, are people actually doing what they should be doing? And so the notion that we now live in this world where there's so much data, there's cameras everywhere. I mean, I like to tell people I'm a recovering roboticist. So Carnegie Robotics kind of at the start of like all things autonomous vehicles. But what I've always looked at autonomous vehicles as is a mobile moving sensor platform, right? And so As spectacular as the idea that, like, I can get on a car or a vehicle and it can take me somewhere and there's no driver, is the idea that as it's passing by, that all the things that are now very difficult to maintain, like that sign that's been painted over, right, that curb that's falling apart, like, that can be captured and reported on instantaneously. So now the, you know, organizations who are responsible for maintaining this infrastructure, there's no longer a guess. Right, There's no longer a, I wonder what's happening out there. Because right now, I mean, as good as it gets, it's like somebody walks down the street and reports this. But that's only one perspective, right? And infrastructure is for us all. And so the idea that like, every time a, a sensor or a car passes by, captures it, and then that can be reported back in some sort of like central digital replication, and we can interact with it in the same way that we interact with the web, right? That I can query it. It's fresh. It's up to date. Like that's kind of our dream is that we have this digital world that we capture and then that digital world informs us or dis- the decision makers setting the policies, repairing our infrastructure better than they've ever had the opportunity to do. And that digital world would be more searchable, more accessible than it's- actually physically moving through an environment. Correct. I mean, you think about it, like how else can you now understand if a sign's fallen over? And that sign might be pretty important. You might get a ticket if you... <laughs> See that sign? There's no other way other than somebody physically walking by it. But now we have the means through all of these you know, wonderful digital technologies. And so when people hear roboticists or they think of the field of
0: robotics, they're thinking maybe a mechanical arm or like an actual C3PO yeah. character moving through the world. But a very core part of the field of roboticism is computer vision and the ability to bring in visual information, make sense of it, order it with a machine as opposed to relying upon the human eye. Can you talk a little bit about the connection between being the recovering roboticist and living in a realm now that's very, there's more to it, but very deeply rooted in the use of com- computer vision. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny when I started into robotics, you know, when you, every roboticist, when they you know get into it, they've got some vision, right? That, that C-3PO, that machine walking through the world. And then, you know, as I started the journey, it was, yeah, it was very much like arms moving around, right? But what you come to realize through that journey is that so much of what it means to be a roboticist is taking sensor information, which is imperfect and making very concrete, hardcore decisions from what a machine will do in the real world based off of this imperfect knowledge. So you spend a lot of time just trying to figure out what this camera is seeing what this laser scan is seeing and then encoding that into like okay should this thing move forward because as it turns out like and this is i don't know for me human perception is so phenomenal right we take so much for granted like the ability just to pick up that glass take a sip of water is so phenomenal you recognize the glass regardless of what the lighting conditions are you knew it was what like there's so much going into that whereas a camera i mean it under the right circumstances, it works well, but there's so many circumstances it doesn't. And so it's not just, computer vision isn't just about, you know, perceiving in this instanting what's in the camera areas, but it's this vast amount of sort of prior information that you've encoded to make it understand. So you spend a lot of time in sort of the computer vision side of the world, just one thinking about how we do things and how your experience and everything you brought into that moment is reflecting in that decision. And so even from like, this is why I get cited with the type of work that we do, right? When we started the company, it's not just about like, okay, a car passes by, takes a bunch of pictures and we're able to pull out a sign, a curb, whatever it is, right? It's the fact that it's passed by, it's going to pass by hundreds, thousands of times, And every time it does, that's knowledge that's being encoded to make a better perception system. Something that's able to function more like we do, how we understand the world and there's a big gap between being a specialist and a generalist so a
0: lot of like early computer vision is well this specific algorithm is the absolute best sign identifier ever you throw up 10,000 10 million pictures and it will very quickly pick out which ones have signs in them and which ones won't mm-hmm. after some training what you're speaking to as my interpretation holds is more of a general tool as opposed to being something particularly specific. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, right, right, right. It's very good. I mean, it's a more holistic view, right? Because like I said, you can take that picture, right, and you can run it. We have phenomenal tools out that you can run like thousands of pictures that have already been, you know, kind of tagged and say, okay, this is a stop sign classifier. I can capture that stop sign. But when you, that stop sign, even without sort of understanding like, you know, it's red. It has this kind of general shape in an image. Like, if you knew where that picture was from, where it was taken, if you knew, like, it was at an intersection, if you knew that it was a few feet off at a certain height, like, that's information that's not encoded in the picture, but has a lot to do with the fact that it already knows what that should be, right? And so when you take a more holistic approach to perception, right? To machine vision, not just like the image itself, but like all things in combination, you can get a lot better understanding of the world, right? And and it's a sort of a full cycle, right? It comes back, you can feed it back in saying, okay, now I know that's a stop sign. And then my location, my position, you know, all these other characteristics of my environment get encoded into that. And it, it helps me sort of reinforce the fact I know what that is. So it's, yeah, we take a sort of a more broader approach to understanding the world than just like, you know, here's an image, what's in the image. I'm fascinated with how you
0: got here, because this is a very ambitious goal. This is, I mean, even as I told a few friends that I was going to interview you, like they were excited to, because they, you know, heard a little bit of buzz about the technology that's happening here. But going back to 2007, I believe that was your first startup Workhorse Technologies, yep. uh, and then you transitioned into all point Systems. Can you take us back to 2007? and talk a little bit about where you were at that point in time and what your first startup was aimed at doing.
1: Yeah, so that was an interesting time. Again, I was robotics. I was, you focus on the perception side of it. And so what happens, I was a student, right, near, near graduation. What happens as a PhD student in robotics, they start becoming aware of what's going to happen after you graduate. And so you spend a lot of time starting to write the various grants and proposals for the research you've been doing all along. And as I started to do that, I started to see that the applications that we were applying for, you know, where we were getting funded, came not necessarily from a, like a need for a robot, but a need for an answer, right? I was at the time working a lot with robots that Workhorse was, you know, looking at underground machines, like, you know, the typical sort of dirty, dangerous, dark locations where people wouldn't want to go and be perfect for a robot. That's uh, the name Workhorse. That's exactly right. But but what was funny about it, like the types of grants, they weren't looking for, hey, we need a robot to go down and do this. It was, hey, you know, we need a 3D model of this cave. We need a map showing where there are, you know, certain aspects of things, you know, in this tunnel, right? It just so happened that, you know, we were building a robot to go do that. And like with its sensors attached to it, it was a great sort of like, you know, system for recall and scouting right? And so as I'm writing these grants and working on these robots, then the light bulb kind of goes off and it goes, huh, there's a lot of value in the information that's being captured from the robots. And so it was at that point where, you know, sort of my eyes opened to the human need for the information that could be derived from the data. And at first, you know, worked a little bit on the underground side of it. But again, at that time, that's when the sort of the beginning of the autonomous vehicles started to occur and we started working with some of the automakers on their early sort of autonomy programs and it was taking the sensor data and sort of looking at given how it was interpreting world, well, was that reality so sort of doing sort of analysis of interpretation to reality and then all point which was the company i started then kind of pivoted into more of them becoming an engineering and survey tool or a, a software for providing you know, taking sensor data and providing sort of analytics. So we would do things like State of California, um, at Department of Transportation Caltrans was doing bridge clearances. So you don't think about it, but that little yellow sign underneath a bridge that says 14 feet five inches, right? That's not always true, right? The road gets paved, so You add a few inches. The bridge settles a little bit, decreases. So you know, and tolerances are tight on certain locations, and so those need to be updated, and. Th- you begin to think about well, how how do you update that sign? And so, as it turned out, the way you historically did it was you somebody had a pole <laughs> running around underneath the bridge, trying to find the low spot, closing down traffic, and hopefully they hit it, and that would become the sign. Well, then there was a slight evolution from that, where a surveyor would bring an instrument in and like you know just try to position it and try to scan the underside. But if you've got like California, I mean like seven, eight thousand, seven to 10,000 bridges and like that you would have to survey, that would be forever. By the time you finished that survey, it would be time to restart the survey. And so mobile mapping systems kind of came online at that point. You could drive highway speeds and scan. And, and by doing that, you could get these bridges very fast, but then turning those into reports took just as long. And so that's where we came in with Allpoint is we took that data and turned it into the report. So that was kind of the beginning of com- our sort of commercial journey into robotic sensor data into sort of these information products
0: tell me about that move from workhorse into all point and you know sometimes there's a pivot and it's the same team we're now just aimed at a different problem versus hey for whatever reason between funding clients whatever this startup is doesn't have the legs that i hoped it would or maybe just doesn't have the passion that i previously had for it but this new mission we're reorienting reformulating the team new llc or however corporation you might form. Explain that kind of transition.
1: Yeah. So, well, it's interesting because there there was a slight pause in the entrepreneurial track between Workhorse and AllPoint. So when we started to kick off Workhorse, I was, you know, fresh technologist coming out of the university, not really aware how sales or business development or, you know, all the other things that are involved in the company, how they really worked. And the team that we put around Workhorse, which phenomenal technologists got in there, started to go down the path of like, okay, how do we start to digitize underground spaces? And these questions started to come up, like how do we sell it? Like, what are we selling? And I did not feel at the time I understood that a lot. And so actually, so then the sort of the, I said I was gonna step away. So then Workhorse kind of went its own track. And then I spent a year-ish working for other startups, but not in the technical side for the sales and business development teams. So I started to then just educate myself on like, okay, you know, here's new technology. So I worked for a few companies early stage in robotics space, but they were starting to take products to market. And I was trying to help them sell it, develop the business plans. And I was working with the executive teams. And so that was sort of my one year of like getting sort of like completely inundated with the business side. And then after I came out of that, then did some of the autonomous vehicle from these automakers' needs come out, the mobile mapping needs? And it was then I said, well, I know a lot about laser scanning. I know a lot about the engineering side of the world. Now I now have some experience in the sales business side of it. And that's when we, I started AllPoint. And so what's that was during that right after sort of I felt more comfortable with the business side. Absolutely. Because I think that's one of the
0: things that it certainly touched on, but the overlap of the technical acumen and the kind of basic sales skills. It's not that you are the all-American 99th percentile salesperson, but you do have this deep domain expertise, this deep technical knowledge, and you're probably selling into an organization that also has technical fluency. Mm-hmm. So your fluency is there. But just even
1: creating the kind of mental framework to go about selling something like that is is such a huge unlock. It's absolutely huge. I give some entrepreneurial lectures and a technologist stepping into the sales side of the business side, I mean, very different from the vice versa. And so I always feel like the engineer is they want to solve problems. They want to make things better. And there's this perception that sales is this, okay, It's a necessary evil, right? It's this thing that I'm trying to force a solution on somebody. You develop this process, or at least I developed this process to look at sales more as an engineering that, you know, you have a solution and there's somebody who has that need. They may not fully understand that, you know, how your solution works to meet their needs and that's what your job is to sort of educate them, right? And then they can make the call, but sales becomes more of a conversation around how to, what I do, how does it help you, right? And so it's achieving sort of like that sort of mentally said framework around how to actually go and do sales. Precisely. And it
0: clearly contributed to success because in three and a half years, Allpoint was acquired by Autodesk. You spent five years at Autodesk before moving out to Allvision where you are now. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of the time that you spent at Autodesk? Because it seems like all of these realms, it's there's a lot of kind of through lines and similarities between these different companies, despite them being at different stages and different sizes.
1: Yeah, you know, Autodesk was, it was a great, it was phenomenal. It's like, again, I'm a lifelong learner, always new experiences. And, and that was, I felt sort of the culmination of the ending point of my first company and the starting point of a, sort of a broader new perspective of just how the world operates, right? For context, we were being acquired, Autodesk was starting a new division called Reality Solutions. And the premise of that division and ultimately a product line called ReCap was that traditionally an architect engineer, if I'm going to come into a building, as I mentioned at the start of the talk, the documentation for that building either doesn't exist or is wrong because it was the design intent, not the design implementation. And so when you do a new project, a new layout, you actually, you hire architects, And they'll come in with a tape measure or some device that measures distance from walls. And they will create a new floor plan, a new model, and then they'll base their designs off of that. Well, if this is a very large and complicated space, that will become a very labor-intensive process. So the idea was, hey, these scanners now exist. I can plop a little device in the middle of a room, hit a button, you know, it does a little scan, and then boom, instant. 3d model instant 3d replica and so they needed technology that would make that process of scanning a building easy and then as well as how do we get go from a here's a you know bunch of dots that have measurements into a design document how does it fit into autocad or whatever some of the other products and so to me like the acquisition in autos was eye-opening it was i had the fortune of again starting the company leading the company and then Going through that sales process, being acquired, it was a definitely learning experience because all the things that you did throughout that three or whatever years of the company come to full swing. Like every contract, every deal, every sort of IP situation you could have got yourself into was like, okay, now it's being brought up and reflected in the due diligence. But yeah. so it was again, it was like, okay, I'm glad, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of knew what we we're you're stepping into, and so it, it worked out. We were brought in, and my time in audis it, it was, again, phenomenal because we were almost like a startup within the company. It was a new division. It was a new technology, and, you know, we were a new product line that was sort of attached to what their core product line. And I'm sure that also in the same sense that that little interim period helped you get
0: like a general framework for sales, there's also something to be said for like, okay, I did a $1,000 deal, but now I'm in a space doing $10,000 deals and went from $10,000 deals to $100,000. Okay, yeah. And as those scale up, there's there is a difference between those different size sales that you can be made. And when you're in that larger organization and understand how many moving parts go into it and the just greater complexity of it, I'm sure that it kind of reorients your Overton window to actually see something a little bit larger that you can actually take aim at. And I'm guessing that's what contributed to starting All Vision.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, a few things contribute to starting All Vision. The journey through Autodesk. One, we. We were the product that took sensor data into their design portfolio products. And as it turns out, I wasn't aware when I was being acquired, but Autodesk has a design product for everything. I mean, you name it, your buildings, obviously roads, but also like the glass that you drink out of, the movie special effects that you see, right? Their products touch every industry and because Everything in design is, a lot of it, it's inherently 3D. Our products touch that as well. And so it was a phenomenal sort of like vista to look at all these different markets and all the different applications for the types of technology that I've been working on for, for my career. And so as I kind of reached the end of my journey there... You know i started to see some patterns some opportunities needs that weren't being fulfilled and that's where i said okay here's where i you know foresee that an area that is could definitely benefit from the technology we were creating but it wasn't sort of in the purview the drive of autodesk to go out and do that and so that drove sort of the creation of all vision cool so there's countless essence that
0: you're carrying with you into all vision and the company is just over a year old, so it's still kind of in its nascent stages here. We're, we're in office in East Liberty, meeting most of the team. But in terms of the aspiration for where this can go, or the implications of this technology, we kind of covered what it is mm. in the first place. But as you paint a vision, I know that you re- recently raised a round of uh, seed funding. Like, What is the vision that you're painting of what this can eventually be?
1: Yeah. So I look at this as a platform to like search reality or have a higher definition version of our world at our fingertips, right? And the verticals that could be built on top of that, right? What really interests me now, like every startup is a new voyage, right? You take a technology, again, what I've really loved about the space that you know, I've been in from a technology is that it's applicable across so many different domains, right, and every startup is really, it's a voyage into a whole new world. It's a, a new language, right, a new culture. And in this one, it's, it's very much about transportation. So I've been, the course here, like getting up to speed on, you know, mobility and, and what the changing landscapes of just getting around from point A to point B And so for me, the full realization is just all the different impacts of what the types of information that we can bring upon business and how we drive and how we park and how we get goods delivered to our door and what it means to somebody with a disability getting around from point A to point B. Because right now there's no good insight into if I'm dropped off here and I got to go across the street, I got to go down a sidewalk, Like I don't have a good map for that. I have no real meaningful route to do that. And it's the types of, and we can take the data and process it into a format, into a structure that somebody who's planning roads, who's cleaning off sidewalks, who is thinking about how does parking affect delivery or drop-off, which then affects how a business operates and the customer's coming to their front door. And so we can provide that sort of framework that gives it from like, okay, let's just Put a sidewalk here to like, okay, what what will happen when I say that this is, you can't park here from this point in time to this point in time, right? And so there's so many verticals, real estate, how does a fire hydrant affect the location and insurance policy on a piece of property, right? Like right now there's, there's just sort of no centralized database, no easy way to get that information. And even when you can, okay, I'll hire some people to, to walk around town, write on the notepad, do that once at expense and time, how do I keep that up to date? Because then, you know, that data ages. And so what I envision us is that there is a future where, whether it's cars, whether it's the buses, whether it's some routine path through our cities and streets, and there's going to be sensors going by, And every time it passes by, it gets a fresh new view of the world that gets put into this database that we're creating. And that information gets propagated into all sorts of applications, whether they're like navigation applications or real estate applications, insurance applications, that you will get access to that. And we all kind of benefit from that information.
0: Fascinating. On this geospatial data front, one of the things that I'm struggling to make sense of as I look at the landscape is I've read and I've referenced this in previous podcast interviews about how google maps is the next big product for google like it's always been search, it's always driven they're just boatloads and boatloads of revenues and profit and now you know selling their same type of advertising model but on the physical map that people are using to navigate around it totally makes sense that there's applications and use cases far beyond like someone trying to get their coffee someone trying to get to the gas station but is that a part of your calculus as it pertains to how do you differentiate yourself from other providers out there, whether it's Foursquare or other companies that are also deeply embedded in the geospatial world that might have different use cases than what All Vision is bringing?
1: Yeah, I mean, so the core differentiation for us right now in the, as the current world exists is that sort of in the weeds like high definition version of local reality right local spatial awareness now I mean for example I mean you you said google maps uh, do this experiment right like get a google map not driving route yourself from you know two points in a city and intend to walk right because they have a here's a recommended walking the walking will route you on a street first off right <laughs> like it doesn't have the detail to say here's a sidewalk I mean it takes that in consideration but like it will route you on the street and then i remember when i did this the very first time i popped up the street view and the the view that came up was a gentleman walking around a construction site on the street with his back turned. that was in street view right yeah and so that it's not fast enough right like construction happens things get put on a sidewalk temporarily get put away temporarily right so while it's phenomenal from a vehicle point of view, a vehicle perspective, I'm driving across the country, I'm driving through a city, when I'm not driving, when I'm wanting to route myself on a different path, right, or like hyperlocate me, not just like in mean, this general area, but like I'm standing in front of this the store, right, right now, like it's that level which I think we fit in well and that there's ample opportunity to explore. And so that's that to to us is the big differentiator and the types of data sets that we work with, the types of partnerships is that's where that data is very good at. It's street level, it's 3D, it's imagery and it's frequent, right? So that's kind of our winning combination.
0: Fascinating.
1: I want to ask one more or I want to touch on one more subject and then
0: we'll aim towards wrapping up and that's on the topic of fundraising. So there's a kind of a couple aspects to this question. I actually don't know quite exactly how i'm going to wrap it up Mm -hmm. but one of the things that investors do is pattern matching Mm -hmm. and so when they come across an entrepreneur who has already had a successful acquisition a successful exit that is a positive indicator proven out by statistics that that entrepreneur has a greater likelihood of creating a profitable event in the future simultaneously you've gone through these other startup experiences and have a more informed view of how to go about using capital which partners specifically you might want. And then finally is given that we do a lot of interviews with Pittsburgh-based entrepreneurs, is this narrative around capital and there isn't enough capital or there is enough or you just have to go looking in the right place, this, that, and the other thing. And my research told me that you went outside of Pittsburgh to find a strategic capital partner for All Vision. So given those kind of like three data points setting us up, can you just speak a little bit to how you made that specific decision from a capital raise standpoint and how your general view is moving forward with maybe All Vision's potential capital needs, or just how you think about that? Okay.
1: Processing that. So there was one big comment I think that popped up as you were asking the question. One is this, and and I try to be hyper aware of this. There there is, to your point, when you have a startup and you exit it, and then you enter, you know, that world again, you know, that success does help you, right? From a fundraising standpoint, you're now a proven entity. I've worked with second time, third time, and I can tell you that every time is new. There is a difference, you know, that entrepreneur, in theory, the second, third time knows what they don't know, but every new opportunity has its unknowns, right? It's, it's challenges. And so I think to me with that, a lot of these pattern matching and sort of how the VCs look at, I think they're making some assessments, right? You know, how were they successful in that last one? What were the circumstances that led to that success? So I think there's a part of that that you have to be aware of as you go through the fundraising, because like, you know, just because you were successful in the past necessarily make you successful in the future. And I also think you as an entrepreneur have to be hyper aware. I've known, you know, entrepreneurs that I think their prior success blinded them almost to a certain degree that they felt like almost invincible. I've been here, I've done this before. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. Like and that will help drive you right off the cliff. You it helped you raise a lot of money, which even fueled the fire. But then as you're going forward, you're like, you're not really, you've kind of lost track of that, that need to be scrappy and question like, am I doing the right thing? So I always try to be very aware of, of that, that don't let your prior success make you not aware of what you should be looking at, thinking about and doing. You mentioned in that question, Pittsburgh and the capital climate here. Pittsburgh is a phenomenal town. I absolutely love Pittsburgh. I will be here as long as I possibly can. I mean, it's in its upswing now, and I feel that the capital climate—you know—even when I started my last company—was not as good as it is now. Mm-hmm. And now will not be, will won't be as good as it will be in the future, right? I think there's a lot of factors that have to come into play to being access to capital, and and even ultimately being successful as an entrepreneur. I mean, the type of business that you know we were creating. The needs that we had, it made sense to kind of go outside the city. Can I put words to that potentially? Go for it. To some
0: degree, capital is just a commodity. There's options if you cross a certain bar of where to get capital. And if an investor can also be a strategic ally, whether it's through relationships or domain expertise, that would tip the scales if you were making the decision of who to work with. Is that
1: that fair? that's, That's fair. That's fair. And another thing I'm mean, like what I mean what you have to appreciate about like raising capital I mean it is in itself time consuming there's yeah. a lot of energy I think there's a especially when you're a first time entrepreneur there's a kind of a oh I'm building this great thing and I'll meet with a handful of people and then somebody's going to like what I do It's somebody will like what you do there there's almost a guarantee that you you can find somebody or several somebodys who are into what you are doing, but then the challenge is finding them, right? And so the way to raise capital is to meet with as many people as you possibly can, right? And that process can become so daunting and so overwhelming that I feel that a lot of entrepreneurs, like, they'll throw their hands up and like, oh, nobody, there's no money out there. And I mean, and again, the process of raising capital is for one of, it's a humbling experience. I mean, even when you've been through it before and you know what's coming, there is, you know, time and time again, you go out there, you throw out like, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm passionate about, this is where I see the world, and they may not get it at all. Right. And they will they'll punch in the gut, like, well, that person's doing it and that person's doing it. And every interaction you have to take with a grain of salt. Sometimes you have to hear what they're saying and like, okay, they see a side of the world and the economy and you know, where venture stands, and that's the reality. But then you have to take that what they've said and how will that reformulate your position? I think if you compromise your core and say, okay, we'll go just do this because I think this is either way of money, that's not the right approach, right? That'll lead you probably down a path that ultimately you may not feel comfortable in, you may not like, and you won't be as excited to build that company. At the same time, you know, you really have to have an ear for, okay, there's probably some modifications, there's probably some some new strategies, some new thoughts that we have to adopt and sort of bring in as we go out and fundraise. So. Again, you know, it's a process, and again, Pittsburgh's again. It has more venture now than it ever has, but like you just have to go and talk to just about everybody you can to get to the, sort of, the best sort of partner for what you're doing. Absolutely. Well, thank you for answering that. Thank you for
0: taking so much time to be on the show. There's a lot for other aspiring entrepreneurs out there to unpack from this conversation. Those that want to follow along and learn more about All Vision, I want to provide them the digital coordinates where they can best do so.
1: Yeah, so we're just now ramping up our social presence. So the best place to go to learn more about us and where we're going is our website, allvision.io. Just go there. We'll have everything centralized there, so that, that would be the one go-to. Cool. We're going to
0: keep that in the show notes for this episode. GoingDeepWithAaron.com slash podcast is the place to find it. But as we do at the end of each conversation, Aaron, I want to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience.
1: Yeah, so I've, I've been thinking about this. And again, my, our voyage into transportation has opened my eyes and just terms of like, how do we get around? So my challenge, I, I've been actually doing this myself. And so for your listeners, what I would challenge them, take a normal route that you would, whether it's your commute to, to work, to school, to your house, and take another form to get there, right? One that you normally want to hop in the car and drive. Like, see if there's another way. Is there a bus? Would you bike? Take a different mode because what it will do is it will open your eyes to the world that you live in. And then it, you start to think about, well, if somebody doesn't have a car, if somebody doesn't have another way of getting around, like, how would they have to do it? This has been an eye-opening experience for me because, again, it's something I've traditionally taken for granted, just hop with the car and go. So for those, again, it's a very interesting kind of way of re-sort of looking at the world. So just I would challenge to try that. Try to get from a point A to point B in a mode that isn't the one you normally do and that's maybe uncomfortable. I love that. And I'm if I take that
0: challenge, I might wait till the spring to start biking.
1: Yeah, Pittsburgh is not the best place in the winter. <laughs> so maybe that's a challenge for uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit warmer, but yeah. I love it. Aaron, this has been great. Thank you so much
0: for doing this. Mm-hmm. We just went deep with Aaron Morris. Hope we out there has a fantastic day.